Indeed, we serve a God who loves us, and it is His love that brings us together as His, pe- as his people week after week. And let me invite you to open up your Bible with me to the book of Genesis as we continue to look at a story of God's love for us, a story within a greater story of God redeeming a people to be His people, a people for Himself. This morning we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 27 as we continue this message series. And today we look at a gripping and dramatic story found in God's Word. Look at the lives of Jacob and Esau, perhaps the the best known passage of Scripture that speaks of these two brothers. And I invite you as we look at it together this morning to look at it, though a well-known story that you're probably familiar with, to look at it through a fresh lens as we invite God to to speak to us through His Word. And this is a a lengthy story, but a story that all goes together and speaks uh, to God's people uh, in all generations and all circumstances. And so I'm going to read it in a series of sections. It's a a drama that contains six scenes, and so we're going to read each scene separately. And our task then is to hopefully uh, come up with a Christian principle from each scene that readily applies to our lives today as Christians in the 21st century. But let me invite you to stand for the reading of the first scene. So as you find your place in Genesis chapter 27, if you'll join me standing out of reverence for the one whose word it is that we are reading. This is scene one, Isaac and Esau, verse one. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. You may be seated on this particular story. Yeah, go ahead and have a seat. Four characters, four primary characters. Isaac, his wife Rebecca, and their two twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And as we read about this family, we will quickly see that this is a dysfunctional family. We're in a message series titled Family Feuds, and this is a family feud if there was ever a family feud. So, even so, God used this family in a tremendous way as part of his plan, as part of his program to redeem a people from all nations who would be his people and live for him and walk with him and worship him. So I don't know where you come from this morning. Perhaps you are in a difficult family situation. Perhaps you look at your family and you think, my family is in crisis. Well, know that you're not alone. No matter how broken your family is, God can restore it. Perhaps God may even use your family like he did this family to accomplish incredible kingdom work for his his glory. But in this family, four characters who all contributed to the circumstances of this drama. None of these four characters are with a legitimate excuse. They all contributed, for they all 
had an agenda. In fact, none of them regarded each other with the kind of love that God expects of his people. They all had a personal agenda, a selfish agenda that led to great turmoil. But I think there is one root cause of the rest of the drama. At least one place that the drama can be taken back to. And it is this. It is the display and practice of parental favoritism. Parental favoritism that led to all sorts of of trauma and turmoil. And if you'll turn back just a couple chapters in your Bible, maybe just a page or so to Genesis chapter 25, and join me again in verse 27 of that chapter, we read this. The boys, speaking of Jacob and Esau, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Verse 28, Isaac, the father who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob, a favoritism from the start. One parent loving one child more than the other, and the other parent loving another child more than the former. And this led to a fallout that no one except God could see coming. And each of the six scenes of this drama, this family is never together. Never is each of the four characters all together at one time. In fact, Jacob and Esau, the two brothers, are never together in this drama. And in four of the six scenes, one parent is with his or her favorite son. And in this opening scene that we read just moments ago, dialogue, this conversation between Isaac and his favorite son Esau, both Isaac and Esau ignore the will of God, and ignoring God's will creates tension. Ignoring God's will creates tension. It leads to tension. Well, how did they ignore the will of God? Well, remember there was an oracle that was given to Rebekah before these boys were born. An oracle from God where God declared that the older son, Esau, would serve the younger. The younger son, Jacob, would be greater than his older brother, Esau. He is His family would, in essence, be servants of Jacob's family. And Jacob's family would receive a tremendous blessing. Jacob and his descendants would inherit the birthright and the blessing. And essentially the covenant that God had already established with Abraham and with Isaac. They ignored this. Isaac knew of this oracle, yet he went on and could not help but to want to bless his older son, his favorite son, Esau. And not only that, but you'll remember the story a couple weeks ago where these two boys got in their own feud where where Jacob manipulated Esau into selling his birthright for some bread and a bowl of vegetable soup. Not Not a good deal. So Esau has already made a promise to his brother Jacob, but here he follows his father Isaac's instructions and does just what his father Isaac asked, both of them ignoring the will of God. Sometimes I think We ignore the will of God. How often do we, as people of faith, as people of God, ignore God's will in our own lives? How often do we know the right thing to do according to God's word, yet still go in a different direction? Sometimes I think we fail to acknowledge that the God who knows every thought before we ever have it, knows all about our tendencies to stray from Him. Sometimes we act as if the God who separated the water from 
the land and who put the planets into motion and to, who brought each of us into existence. Sometimes we act as if that God's plans and His will and His overarching story will not take place. Yet the reality is when God says something will happen, it actually happens. When God says something is going to take place, it takes place. The best thing that we can do when we know the will of God, when we know the plan of God, is to surrender to God. Surrender to the Lord's leadership. Surrender to the Lord's leadership in your own life. When you know the will of God, when you sense the presence of God, when you know where it is that God is leading you, leading us as His people, then our task is to surrender to His leadership. Scene 2, Rebecca and Jacob. Look back at Genesis 27. Saw in verse 5 that Rebecca was listening as Isaac gave Esau these instructions. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. Unbelievable deception being practiced here. Being told here. This is almost hard for us to swallow. Hard for us to even fathom that something to this degree could take place and take place successfully. If it wasn't for Isaac's almost decrepit position, there's no way they could have pulled off this deceit. Reminded of children producing a drama, perhaps at certain times of the year, and we watch children dress up and act the part of characters, and it would almost be as if we watched children in a drama and actually believed that they were the characters that they were attempting to be. This is the kind of plan that Rebecca is devising for her son Jacob to participate in. Desperate situation. She knows the oracle of God and she also knows that Jacob is her favorite. And so perhaps she thinks that God's plan is not going to unfold in the way that God desires or intends. So she steps in to rescue and to handle the situation. But the truth is that God does not need help fulfilling his plan of blessing. The God that we serve, the God that, that we, the God that we worship, the God that we gather in the name of this morning, the same God that Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau were called to worship, does not need help fulfilling His blessing. We could imagine what would have taken place. How would this story have unfolded if Rebekah had not stepped in here and developed this 
deceptive scheme. What would have happened? We can really only speculate, but we can rest assured that Esau would not have received the blessing. Because God had already pronounced that he wouldn't. God would have intervened. In other words, somehow God would have handled it. God can take care of his plan and his program. And he can fulfill his promises. We don't need to rescue God. God invites us to participate in his plan. But he doesn't need us to step in and intervene for him. Sometimes I think we act as if maybe he does. Perhaps we think God needs us to explain Him a little bit so that His image is not tarnished in the eyes of other people. We don't want to communicate something that we know is true about God from His Word that might be offensive to other people. So we attempt to explain God away or to rescue His reputation in the eyes of the world. But God does not need His reputation rescued. Rather, we need to be rescued from sin and the penalty of sin. And God has put together a plan that involves incredible promises to rescue us from just that. So the best thing that we can do when we want to be faithful to God is to to rightly know God and to understand who He is. And we can do so by reading and studying and meditating on the attributes of God. If you want to know God, read, study, and meditate on the attributes of God as they are presented in His Word. God has revealed Himself to us. He has made Himself known for us in His written Word. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says this about God. It says, God is the rock. His works are perfect and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, verse 8, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. The author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. As we read and study and meditate on who God is, then we will be more inclined to recognize when it is that we are going against His program, against His plan, that we are drifting into sin, and we will be led to a greater trust in him. Read, study, and meditate on the attributes of God. Scene three, Isaac and Jacob. Back at Genesis 27, picking up in verse 18, Rebecca has devised this plan and sent Jacob to carry it out before his father while Esau is away hunting game as his father had instructed. Verse 18, Jacob went into his father and said, my father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Just imagine the irony, the lies that are in that very statement. Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just what you said. Sit up and eat and bless me. Verse 20, Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. And Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. 
And he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, All the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So here Jacob carries out this deceptive scheme that his mother Rebecca has put together. And that is in no way to take any of the guilt and the blame away from Jacob for his deception. His words here almost once again unbelievable as he credits God for giving him success so quickly. He knows that God has promised to bless him and to use him and promised great things to his grandfather Abraham and now his father Isaac. And He's standing in a place to carry on those promises of Numerous descendants, offspring to which all nations of the earth will be blessed. And yet here he he lies, contributing something to God that is totally opposed to the character of God. Jacob knows he is in the wrong here, there's no doubt. But he doesn't care because he gets what he wants. He gets the blessing that he sought out and attempts to manipulate God's plan may initially appear successful. The truth that we can take from this scene is that attempts to manipulate God's plan may initially appear successful. But the reality is, according to God's word, is that Jacob gained nothing from this. He gained absolutely nothing for he would have received the blessing anyway. And he lost a great deal. For his family was in turmoil from this point forward. They would never be together as a family again. They would never enjoy sweet fellowship as a family of forever, ever again. And we can learn from from this episode that, that we must never compromise faithfulness for our own personal gain. Never compromise faithfulness to God for our own personal gain. We must never be more concerned with our own success and the appearance of our success in the eyes of the world than we are with the things of God. We must never compromise faithfulness for personal gain, not in the workplace, not in ministry, not on our taxes, not on an examination. We are called to be faithful to the ever faithful to the always faithful God that that we serve. Scene four, Isaac and Esau. Look back at God's word, Genesis chapter 27, picking up in verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. So imagine the drama here. Jacob has just left. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. 
When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. And this exchange goes on and Esau criticizes Jacob being filled with deception. He says, Father, don't you have any blessing left for me? Can't you give me anything? Can't you promise me anything? And this is what his father says in verse 39. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Isaac had already blessed Jacob. Thus Jacob would be blessed for his word was like that of an oath and a prayer over his son. And so now Esau essentially gets the opposite of Jacob's blessing. And we read here in this encounter that when Isaac realizes what has taken place, he is deeply troubled. He is alarmed. He is uncomfortable. It says that he trembled violently, verse 33, when he realizes that he's been deceived. I don't think he trembles so much out of anger for Jacob. I don't think he's trembling here because he's mad and wants to punish Jacob. I think he's trembling because he realizes that he has been fighting the plan of God all along. It's a moment when he realizes that God has promised to bless Jacob and and he has been fighting a lost cause. That the God who is sovereign is going to carry out his program. No matter how much he wanted Esau, his favorite son, to receive the blessing, God was not going to allow it to happen. I think God intervened and communicated his intervention by convicting Isaac of his sin. And God will convict his people of wrongdoing and reveal his intervention. God that we serve, the God of scriptures, the one and only God is a God who convicts his people of of sin and reveals his intervention. Scene 5. Rebekah and Jacob. Picking up in verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the, the days of mourning for my father are near. In other words, my father's old, he's about to die. Truth is, he lived for many more years. The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said. She, went, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? All of a sudden, family turmoil heightens drastically. Jacob received what he wanted. He got the blessing, but he also received the wrath of his brother. His brother avenges, vows to kill him, to kill Jacob for what he has done. And Rebecca once again intervenes and sends Jacob away. She knows that Esau wants to kill Jacob, so she sends Jacob to her brother Laban for a little while, for a few days. The reality is that 
this few days, this little while turned into 20 years and Rebecca would never see her beloved son again on this earth. Sin produces dangerous consequences. Sin produces dangerous and devastating consequences. This fallout, tremendous fallout from ultimately the favoritism of these two parents. And as long as these parents acted in this way, there would never be harmony between these two boys. Sin produces dangerous and devastating consequences. Thus, we as people of faith must learn to flee from sin. Flee from sin. When sin tempts us, we must run away from it and toward God. When the lure of pleasure, the lure of success is dangled before us, we must, as people of faith who believe in the God of the Scriptures, run from it, flee from it, and run after God and the things of God. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, because sin produces dangerous consequences, we must flee from sin. Sixth and final scene, Isaac and Rebekah. Genesis 27, beginning in verse 46, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. A little backstory, Esau had taken two wives from among the Hittites. So she's speaking of them. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Unbelievable to me. She's, family's in this turmoil. Lying about God and the ways of God. Her sons are wanting, one son is wanting to kill the other. She's had to send her favorite son away and she's complaining about her daughters-in-law. Chapter 28, so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. So Isaac recognizes what's going on. He knows that his wife, Rebekah, is is in turmoil. So he steps in to intervene, sending their son Isaac away. Telling him to take, or sending, excuse me, their son Jacob away. Telling him to take a wife from among their relatives. Verse 3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Verse 4, may he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Sends him away, recognizing that the Abrahamic blessing will be passed on to Jacob. The reality is, according to this story, the tension that is created in this story by ignoring the plans of God and the will of God is never resolved. It is never resolved in their lifetime. In fact, Jacob is just sent away. The truth for us is, though we may find ourselves in situations of crisis in this life, perhaps even family turmoil and crisis, we are not promised that those situations will be resolved in this life. But even so, we're reminded through these words, chapter 28, between Isaac and his son Jacob, that that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has promises and a plan that will carry on, that will continue despite their sin. 
Thank God that according to His Word, those who repented of sin and come to Jesus in faith are spiritual descendants of Abraham and recipients of His promises. And despite our sin, God remains faithful. Despite their sin, God maintains His promises to His people. Despite their sin, God maintains His promises to His people. We often act with faithlessness, but God is an always faithful God. His plan continues. His program to bless the nations to the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will continue. And just as Jacob deserved no credit for his role in God's redemptive story, none of us gathered here this morning deserve any credit for our place in God's redemptive story. For the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob The God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 1 31. Therefore, if anyone boasts, let him boast in the Lord. The hymn writer Isaac Watts got it right when he said, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my God all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to His blood. Church, give credit to God alone for saving His people. Give credit to God alone. God who creates, the God who calls, the God who redeems for Saving His people. For we are only saved by His grace. It was His love and His mercy that led Him before the foundation of the world to put a plan in place that involves Him coming to us and living among us and ultimately laying down His life for us on the cross of Calvary so that we could be made right with Him. So that we could be forgiven of sins and declared righteous in His eyes, becoming participants in His plan of Redemption And God calls us not only to respond in faith to Him, but to be part of His ongoing plan to carry His message, His gospel to all the peoples of the earth. He doesn't call us to do so in our own efforts or in our own ways, our own wisdom, our own cleverness. No, He calls us to participate in His plan with an integrity that is consistent with who He is and the message that He asks us to deliver. God desires His people to participate in His plan with integrity. God desires His people, all of His people who've been saved by His grace, to participate in His plan with an integrity that glorifies Him. Are you participating in the redemptive plan of God? Are you one of the redeemed, have you recognized your sinfulness against a perfect and holy and sinless God and repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation, thereby recognizing that He is your Redeemer and your Lord? And if so, are you participating in His plan of taking His message to the ends of the earth with an integrity that glorifies Him? Can you and I In conclusion this morning, join with Paul in saying, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, 
but on God's power. Father, we thank you that you are the all-wise God. Lord, you are great I am. You are our creator. You are our redeemer. You are our savior, our Lord, and our friend. And Father, we thank you that by your grace you have redeemed us. Father, we thank you for paying the price so that we might be your children, so that we might be reconciled to you, so that we might live forever with you. And we acknowledge this morning that that is completely and utterly undeserved on our part. But in your faithfulness and in your love, you've called us. Father, help us to be faithful followers of Jesus. Help us to be faithful participants in your plan of redemption. Help us to be, Lord, as your word says, ambassadors of your gospel in a way that gives you all the glory. For you are worthy and you are good and you deserve our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.